Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. squeeze in is that okay not meaning you have to sit next to each other because i know of covid stuff but if some people would kind of fill in the middle just to uh there you go and you're out of the spit zone so you're good so if you're willing to if not it's okay no pressure um i love what we're doing here in west milford i love it because when i think about what god did and has done in the plant ministry for some reason, God has always empowered us to work with groups of people that really want to know Jesus. And if you're here this morning, you're not here just to punch the clock to go to church. Can I get an amen? amen. All right? If you like something I say, you can say amen. Okay? That's my personality. That's what we do. And it's really funny because when Jesus started every sermon, in one translation it says, and verily unto you, what actually meant Amen. Oftentimes when Jesus began his preaching, he began in the Greek with the word amen. Where do we oftentimes use amen? At the end of a prayer. But Jesus oftentimes started all of his sermons in the beginning, amen, we're ready to go. But, but what I love, I love being part of groups of people that want to be part of something special. And they don't need to walk in the room But what they want to see is a real movement of God. And I've seen all throughout the Northeast, when groups of people get together and they truly seek the face of God together, something amazing. Let me tell you two things that happened this, this past week within our plant family. And it doesn't matter if it's West Milford or Mawa because it's all our plant family. Can I get an amen for that? This past week, there was a man who was going in for a bypass surgery. He had to get a, st a stent in. He had a clogged artery. Our church had been praying for him because there was fear. There was concern. One x-ray showed a, a blockage. They went in to get rid of that blockage. And when they went in to do the procedure, the blockage was gone. How cool is that? Isn't that awesome? You can clap for that, yes? Right? You see, that's what prayer can do. We also had a teenager this past week, this is crazy, a teenager, not, not an adult, a teenager go up to someone who had been struggling with hearing their whole life. And this teenager went up to that person and said, I just want to pray for you. Now, this, the teenager had a relationship with the adult. And the teenager put his hands on this adult's ears, and after he had prayed, the adult took off their hearing aids. And today they hear clearly. How cool is that? Right? That's sort of like, like, let's not church clap. I hate church clap. We can like, we can get excited. Now, am I trying to jazz you up? Yes. And I'm not going to apologize. Because we believe when we look at scripture, there's something very powerful about prayer. There's something very powerful about prayer. But when we bring up the topic of prayer, there's three emotions that I believe jump out at us. Excitement, right? You're excited because you actually are like, wow, 
I heard that. That really happened. I swear it happened. I cannot tell a lie. I shouldn't lie because I'm a pastor. The second emotion is frustration. Anyone been frustrated with prayer? Come on, give me a little hand, right? We're frustrated because what we've prayed for has not come to fruition yet. And that's a reality in all of our lives. But then there's an, another feeling. It's a fear, it's, it's a feeling of intimidation. Intimidation. If I pray, why would God hear me? And oftentimes as a minister, people will say to me like, hey, save your prayers for someone else. And I'm like, no, 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 time out. We want to pray for you. No, 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 I'm okay. I have all of my basic needs met. Just, just give me some, like, I'm okay. And there's that feeling of intimidation. And I believe that's true when it comes to prayer. And I would say that the one thing, why we've been doing this Daniel fast for the last three weeks, why we've been doing our prayer and worship nights, is to help you re-engage in a relationship with Jesus that brings you to a place in prayer that you get to know him. You get to share your heart with him. And at the end of all of it, you get to know that he actually knows you. Now look at this definition of Webster's, what Webster's Dictionary says about prayer, okay? Now Webster's Dictionary gives some of the worst definitions about everything. This is what it says about prayer. The act of asking for a favor with earnestness. How weak is that? Hey God, if you can. And then you put like a little New York accent on it, right? Hey God, if you're willing. Hey God, if you can show up. If, if maybe you hear me. So it's like asking for a favor, right? Hey, can, can you take out the trash for me? Can, can you pay this bill for me? But prayer is so much more. Because that definition is so insufficient. It's so small. It's so minute. It, it really, in many ways, takes away from the presence of God and the power of God and God's will that he has for each of our lives. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to look at one of Jesus' teachings on prayer. Not Rob's enthusiasm on prayer. One of Jesus' teachings on prayer. So that as you go into 2022, you get to position yourself and your prayer life in a manner that revolutionizes your relationship with God this year. That is the only reason why I'm a minister is to help motivate you, teach you that God longs to be in a relationship with each one of us. That's it. That's it. And I want to pray. And my hope is this, that each of you has one takeaway that you can say, wow, I never understood prayer in that manner before. Whether you are brand new to all of this or whether you have been a Christian all of your life, my prayer is this, you walk away with one thing that you can actually take away from, not from Rob's teachings, but the words of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I do ask you, 
that you would use this passage. A passage that we have all heard in some capacity. Whether it be in a church or whether it be from someone else just saying these simple words. I ask you, Holy Spirit, for a fresh, fresh word. I ask you that today would be a day where we get excited about communicating with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you want, oftentimes I see a lot of people in Mawa, like I'll throw a quote up, take a picture of it if you want. Um, you're allowed to play on your phones in church for those reasons. Um, but I really want us to dive into a passage that, that we've all heard in some kind of capacity. It says this. This is the words of Jesus. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. So you've heard that. There's a progression going on that Jesus is talking about. Now watch, watch this imagery that Jesus gives to his teaching. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or, if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? Now, background to passage is everything. Understanding where this passage sits in the gospel determines so much to what Jesus was trying to teach the people. This was in the discourse called the Sermon on the Mount. So in two of the gospels, whether it be Matthew or Luke, there is this run of Jesus' teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew, it's chapters 5 through 7. And Jesus is teaching a large crowd of people. And he's teaching on multiple things, multiple things, multiple things, multiple things. But in this discourse of sermons and teachings, there are three movements that Jesus teaches on prayer. So think about this. If Jesus was with a crowd for a whole day, and if you've ever gone to a conference, whether it be a, a Christian conference or a work conference, and during that conference, there are many different topics, but three different times, the same topic is talked about in a different manner. What is the conference trying to teach you? Something significant about that one thing. And three different times, Jesus teaches on prayer. The first time he teaches, he says, it's, he's teaching the people how to pray the Lord's Prayer. On earth as it is, where? In heaven, right? That's where we get that from. It's not just some, someone made it up in a song and said, oh, wow, I've never heard that before. No, those are the words of Jesus. That Jesus wants the will of the Father on earth as it is, where? 
in heaven. And then there's another time that, that Jesus says, when you pray, this is one thing that I want you to deal with in your heart. And he talks about the condition of heart going to prayer. And you're probably thinking, Pastor Rob, what is that? That's another sermon. But today is the third teaching on prayer that Jesus really, really dives into. And he talks about this pattern of prayer that allows us to engage in a relationship with the living God. Now, when you study the Gospels 38 different times, let me say that again, 38 different times, Jesus either teaches on prayer, went off to pray, or was praying with other individuals. And so when you see that many times throughout the Gospels, what should we say? It's important. It's essential. It's essential. And so he teaches them because the disciples were frustrated. The people were frustrated. Why is it every time Jesus prays, something happens? Have you ever thought about that with someone else? Every time someone else prays, it's like something always happens. But when I pray, it's like something's broken. So if something's broken, what are we thinking? You're broken when you actually are not. And so before we jump into really just ripping this passage apart, and I promise you we, won't, we will not be here all day like a conference. I will keep this tight. This is what I want you to remember. This is the point of the whole message. Prayer is not a transaction. It's an interaction. Let me say that again. Prayer is not a transaction. It's an interaction. So what's a transaction? A transaction is the action of conducting business. Right? We're going to talk. We're going to make a deal, and then we're going to walk away. And what we've done with God is we have made God to be more of a business transaction rather than learning how to interact with the creator of the universe. What's an interaction? It's communication or direct involvement with someone or something. And when Jesus came to earth, his whole goal was to redeem humanity in their relationship with God. Jesus, fully God, fully man, and a mystery we will never understand until eternity. And then one day we're going to say, like, Jesus, help us understand this. Help us understand this. But I believe when we get to heaven, all the questions we have, we're not even going to be concerned with. But what Jesus had done, he was teaching everybody, hey, God wants to be in a relationship with you where there's interaction. And that interaction happens through prayer. So let me give you a new definition of prayer. This is one that I've kind of tweaked over the years. Real prayer assumes not only that God exists, but that he can hear, that he listens, 
and he responds to the prayers of his people. And he does hear, and he will respond to each one of us. And so it is God's desire, it is Jesus' desire, that we would be able to go to God in a relationship in which we are learning to interact with the creator of the universe. I mean, think about what it says in Psalm. You created me in my inmost being. You made me fearfully and wonderfully made. You know everything about me. That was written in a deep place of interaction with the living God. And so prayer is this relationship that we get to interact with the living God where God hears us and will respond to us. But what happens is we miss what prayer is. And not only what prayer is, but that there's a progression in prayer. Well, why do you say that, Rob? Let's go back to the passage. What did Jesus say? He said, ask, and it'll be given to you. So what does he mean by, by asking? And, and watch this progression of interaction. Asking means asking God for anything, mainly our basic provisions. So everyone, look at the jacket they brought. Everyone brought a jacket today? If you didn't, there's a problem unless you were wearing a heavy sweatshirt, right? Look down on your feet. How many people are not wearing shoes this morning? This morning was so funny. We let our dogs out into the snow, and they started hopping like this. They did like this weird hop because they were avoiding the ice, because their poor little paws were freezing. But did that happen to any of us today? Think about this morning. Each one of us had a roof over our head and provisions. Jesus says, ask. And I will provide. I love what Jesus says. He says, look at the landscape. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. How God provides for them is how he wants to provide for you. And so Jesus says, ask. And I'll show up. I remember when I first became a follower of Jesus. The day that I said, like, I'm doing this. I'm all in. I was 19 years old. It was November of 1991. And I remembered when I started praying, I just started asking God for, for certain things. And it was like everything that I asked for, God just showed up, showed up, showed up, showed up. And it was because it was the beginning interactions with God. It was the little things. It was the things that I thought were so grand were yet present and God wanted to show up. So think about this. Was there ever a season in your life that you just started seeing God just show up time and time and time again? You see, asking is the entry point in prayer. It's learning to say, God, I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going to begin to lean on you. 
I mean, think about little kids. And I love how Jesus uses the imagery of parenting, right? For you sinful people, you crazy parents out there, let's just say that right now, right? You crazy parents out there, how much have you provided for your children? If they ask for bread, are you going to give them a stone? And then God knows all of our fears with snakes. If you ask for fish, are you going to give them a snake? Right? Like, I hate snakes. Greatest fear. I'm like Indiana Jones. Like, anything but snakes. Right? But, but it's this idea. If you parents want to provide, what about the creator of the universe? God wants to show up. He wants to show up. But then he says this, ask you'll receive. Keep on seeking and you will find. You see the progression. Ask. Something doesn't happen. And he says, keep on seeking and you will what? Find. So when we seek after something, the word for seeking means that we have a, a deep burden for understanding. Right? God, show me. I love what the psalmist says. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. And at the same time, God says this, if you seek me, you will be found by me. So there's this progression of interaction and a progression of intimacy with the living God where, where there are things that we're saying, I really believe certain things are supposed to come to fruition. I'm really wrestling with, with knowledge and understanding, and I don't know why I'm stuck. And it's in that moment that we say, God, I'm going to go to the deeper places. God, I need to understand. I'm trying to fathom my circumstance. I'm trying to fathom the things that are happening around us. So let's talk about the Daniel fast. The Daniel fast was not something that was forced on you. The Daniel fast was something saying, we want to equip you that when there are areas in your life that you are stuck. Anyone ever been stuck before? Right? There are areas in our life that we are stuck. And this is what Daniel did in the Old Testament. For three weeks, there was something stuck. And he said, I've asked, I've searched, I've sought wisdom, and something's stuck. And he said, I'm going to take three weeks and I'm going to pray and fast. I'm going to get rid of all my distractions. That's all fasting is. There's, that's all it is. You're getting rid of those things that distract you. You know what I'm eating tonight since the fast is over? Chunky monkey. Chunky monkey. That's the one thing I'm having tonight. Because I haven't had chunky monkey in three weeks. Greatest ice cream ever. But for three weeks, Daniel said, search me as I search you. And I love what it says in Daniel chapter 10. And the moment he declared he was going to pray and fast, you know what God did? God heard his prayer. And so when we seek, when we says keep seeking, it means you're searching. You, you, there's a burden, a need for understanding. You see the progression of intimacy? What happens when your child becomes a junior higher? Well, they start asking weird questions. Wait till they get to high school. Wait till they get to college. Wait till they graduate. Like the, the conversations get harder. They get deeper. They get more confusing. Ask, 
seek. Keep seeking. And then, then Jesus says, and I love what Jesus says. He says, keep on knocking. Has there ever been something that you have banged on the door of heaven? Like there is something in your gut. There is something in your gut. You will not let go. There is something saying, I know, I know that I know without a shadow of a doubt that God can do this. And I ain't going to stop until God shows me in my searching what he's teaching me, but in my knocking, he's teaching me perseverance. You see, when we bang on the door, it means because we need to be able to, to have a place of being rescued. We need safety. We need protection. We bang because we are so persistent that we are not going to give up. And there are certain things in our life that we need to bang on the door of heaven for. For ourselves and for others. Remember I told you about that, that person who had that whole stint thing? Nothing there. That guy finally said, wow, God really does have a plan for me. Wow, God really gave me more time. Seriously, Sherlock, that's true. He gave you more time. And he did it in a supernatural way to say, he's bigger than even your own physical condition. And we're going to get to the dilemma of prayer. But there are certain things that we need to bang on the door of heaven. My wife, I love her. She is the most persistent woman in the world. I love this about you. She will get my attention at 2 a.m. in the morning. And it drives me crazy. But at the same time, it's a beautiful reminder of the trust we have with one another. Like, she wants to talk certain things out, and I just want to go to sleep. But there's something beautiful about persistence. Think about what Jesus talked about with the persistent widow. She went to the judge, and, and she bugged him and annoyed him, annoyed him. And this is what Jesus says. Look what this woman did to the sinful judge. She changed his mind. How much more does your Father in heaven want to respond to you? You see, he's, he's talking about our humanness compared to the glory and the majesty and the greatness of a God who created us for purpose. And that purpose would be in a place to be in relationship with the living God, where it's not just us talking, but it's him talking to us. You know, when I pray, I do more, I've learned to listen more than I do speak. Everyone's like, you pray so eloquently. This is what you do. Well, I do that because I'm in a crowd. And I want to teach you to pray. And there are moments when I do talk to God, but I used to talk so much to God that I couldn't hear him. You see, when we are in a relationship, there's a, there's a two-way conversation. And how do we hear from God? We hear from God in, in three different ways. One, through his word. Two, through his Holy Spirit. 
that holy nudge, that holy sense, that holy moment. But God also speaks through one another. And so here you see this progression of interaction. Let's take it even a little bit deeper. A progression of intimacy. You see, interaction was primary. But intimacy was necessary. And God will respond. So, this is one thing that I love to do. I think oftentimes we don't see the correlation between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The First Testament, the Second Testament. But everything that Jesus taught us was to fulfill the Old Testament. So he never taught anything different or opposed to the Old Testament. And I want you to hear that. Because a lot of people want to change that what Jesus had said was kind of opposing to the Old Testament. Not at all. Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the Old Testament. So let's use one character in Scripture that did this ask, seek, knock. And I believe with every person in Scripture, whether it be a Daniel, whether it be a Moses, whether it be an Abraham, whether it be a Sarah, whether it be any, any individual, you put their name on it. If there's a long enough narrative, you see this asking, seeking, knocking. So Moses. Moses brings the people into the wilderness or desert, however you want to define it. And God said, I will provide. And when they ran out of resources, the people got hungry and thirsty. A basic need. Something that they needed to survive. And so the Israelites literally said to Moses, hey, thanks for bringing us into the wilderness, the desert, for us to die. We were actually better off in Egypt. And so Moses goes to the mount. And he says, God, they're beginning to complain. Now, I know we spiritualize the Bible, but that's basically what Moses was saying. Your people are complaining. And whenever you read Moses, he always put it back on God. Your people are complaining. And so God says, I'll provide. And so God provided. He provided heavenly bread, which is called manna, made from the dew, the water from the ground that just kind of rests on the ground. And then when the people got really, really picky, they said, we've had enough bread. We've had enough carbs. We want some protein. And God said, okay, great. I'm going to give them birds. I'm going to give them quails. I give them bread. I give them meat. We need more water. Okay, go strike the rock. And water will flow. I mean, think about how supernatural each one of those movements are. Bread made from moisture. Birds that would just kind of show up once a day. And then water coming from a rock. God wants to provide in supernatural manners. But then there was a seeking. The people of Israel started getting a little crazy because things were not going their way. They wanted to get to the promised land by Monday. They met, they met together on Friday, and they wanted to be there on Monday. Really, it was probably a Saturday, so they wanted to get there by Tuesday. And really, the route should have been really like a 14-day journey, but, but they were so in their head, it took 40 years. 
How many of us do not want to wait 40 years for God to answer us? I don't want to wait 40 years. But they started complaining. They started bickering. They started fighting. They started making really poor decisions. So Moses on multiple occasions went up to the mountain and said, God, help me lead your people. Give us some parameters of how we should know you and treat each other. And then so what did God do? He had Moses write them down. But instead of pen and paper, it was a stone. That's why it took so long. Even though it was 10 lines, it took 40 days. Here are the 10 things that you need to do to be a healthy community, to be a thriving community, and how to know their relationship with God. And on multiple occasions, Moses would go seek the face of God for direction for the Israelites. But there were many occasions where Moses would put in a situation that he had to bang on the door of heaven. Think about this, the first one. They leave Egypt. Everyone's behind them. They get to the sea, and there's an ocean in front of them and an army behind them. And everyone starts screaming, you've brought us out here to die. And Moses goes, I need you to show up now. I need you to show up now. And God goes, and the spirit of God blew upon those waters and just pushed them aside for the perfect amount of time. And when the last Israelite walked through, the armies of Egypt were swallowed up by God. We live in a westernized society that we want gratification immediately. But it's in prayer, through prayer, by prayer, that we go from a place of interaction to intimacy so that God's will begins to unfold in our lives. Look at this, look at what Jeremiah said. This is what the Lord says. The Lord who made the earth, who formed and established it, whose name is the Lord, ask me, ask me, and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. Ask me, ask me. But let's talk about the prayer dilemma. There's three things that happen in each one of us with prayer. The first is called a season of waiting. It's all about timing. Think about the person that you, that you have fallen in love with and you've married. The right person at the wrong time is disastrous. The right person at the wrong time is disastrous. And there are seasons... Where God is saying, I have everything planned for you, but in this season of waiting, I am going to sharpen your character. I'm going to sharpen your character as I begin to pull all of the circumstances together so at the right time, in the right place of posture, God's will will unfold perfectly. And for each one of us, it's different. 
For each one of us, it's different. But God's timing, as much as I hate God's timing, can I get an amen for that? Anyone hate God's timing? Say it really loud. Amen. I hate God's timing, and I'm a minister. Am I allowed to say that? I am, because I interact with him, and this is how I talk to him. God, I hate your timing. You can say it. Say it out loud. God, I hate your timing. You're not going to hell for saying that. But it's in our waiting that God is sharpening our character and putting together the right situation so the right posture at the right timing allows for God to do his best. And I don't want God's good for you or for me. I want God's best. Amen. Really? Amen. Right? Amen. Like, I don't want good things to happen to you. I want great things to happen to you. But there's another dilemma. And we're seeing this more and more, even on TV, that there is a supernatural world. I mean, think about, and I love how Andrew used this illustration months ago, talking about spiritual warfare. When Scooby-Doo first came out, they never talked about the supernatural, like in the Scooby-Doo. It was always like, you mangy kids, right? You'd pull off the face. Do you know now the new Scooby-Doo doesn't have that, that villain, but there's supernatural acts that they're saying, wow, maybe there is something to the supernatural world. Maybe there is. I mean, why did Daniel pray? Because there was a spiritual wall between him and what was going on. Last night, Sue and I were watching this show called Trafficking. And they were talking about the, the, the stealing of cars. And how all these cars in the United States are being taken from people, stolen from people, and shipped overseas. And in Ghana, what was happening was, that's the largest place where cars are distributed in the world right now. Because cars are a sign of prestige. And so what people do who make deals to get cars, they go to the local witch doctor and they perform a ceremony and things happen. So if there's an evil in the world, there's a goodness in the world. Look what, look what Paul says. I'm just going to read one of them. He says, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Yes, there is a spiritual war. And if you don't believe me, spend a month with me. Seriously, see what we have to deal with, what's going on in people's lives. If you're with a spouse, turn to them and say, you're not my enemy. Just say, you're not my enemy. You're not my enemy. Okay, you're not my enemy. That's true. But there is an enemy who wants to destroy you. There is an enemy who wants to cause friction and frustration and confusion. And it's in this season right now that maybe in your seeking, maybe in your seeking, there's something going on in the unseen world. But there's a third, God's will. As we're waiting, we're aligning ourselves with the will of God. I think we use God's will as a cop-out. Well, I've prayed 10 times and it didn't happen. God must have a different will. That is wrong. That's not of God. Because when God shows you that it's not his will, he's going to show you other things as well. And so we look at Paul's one example, Paul's one example, where he prayed three times and it didn't change. He says, okay, I'm going to lean into this. That was Paul's situation. That was not your situation. 
I know things in our lives as a couple that were not God's will. But it was during my searching that I had to align myself for years where I said, wow, it maybe is not God's will or maybe it's not his timing, but that's not for me to choose. It's my responsibility to lean into a relationship with Jesus so he can speak to me. And if I lived in my own will, I would never get to see what God has done in our marriage, in our family, and in the ministry that we've done together. And there are prayer dilemmas that we don't talk about. And these prayer dilemmas can be very painful. Can I get an amen for that? They can be painful. They can cause us to just want to like just run away. It can cause us to make very stupid, immature decisions. But if we can trust the words of Jesus, and I think there's certain teachings when Jesus taught that he just smiled. Hey, let me, t- let me teach you a little bit more about prayer. Ask me. I want to show up. There's some deep things in your heart that you're seeking. I want to show you. But there's some barriers that I want to I break through in you. There's some strongholds. There's some relational, emotional, physical strongholds that are keeping you away from having the ability to hear me clearly. Then he says, I love it when you knock. You never frustrate me. You never frustrate me. That's what I've learned about prayer. I know as a church, we talk about certain things more than maybe churches you've come from in the past. We talk about Jesus all the time. We talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. We actually had a, someone that, that recently said to us, you talk more about the Holy Spirit than any church I've ever heard. And it's kind of weird for us. I said, just lean into it. See what, see what God's doing. And it was so cool because this week, that individual made sure that I found out that over the last three weeks of the Daniel Fast, that their family has been revolutionized. But there's one other thing we talk about too, and that's prayer. We want to equip you to pray. And I want to flip what I said in the beginning. Prayer is an interaction. It's not a transaction. Prayer is an interaction. It's not a transaction. And it's our hope. It's my deepest desire that one day this week, You will just position yourself so that you can communicate with God. So God can communicate with you. I want you to practice something this week. Every day for seven days, practice these three movements. For you who are driving three different times a day, take your car ride. First car ride, ask. Second car ride, Seek. Third card ride, knock. Just put it out there. Or maybe each meal, you say, hey, God, I'm asking you for this during this meal. Don't ask him to bless the food. Just, you can if you want. 
But this is more important right now. The second meal lunch, say, God, I'm seeking you. Search me in my secret. Help me find you. But then at dinner or before bed, say, now I need you. I'm going to bang on the door of heaven. It's a simple, practical walk away application. Let's do this. We're going to do communion this morning. Come on up, Jordan. Good job this morning, my friends. I'm proud of you. This did not happen in the beginning of the ministry. It happened at the end. After three and a half years of teaching his disciples to be in a relationship with the living God, he said, let's take it even a step further. And he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. He said, you've watched me. You've heard me. You see how I've sacrificed for you. And what I'm about to do is the greatest sacrifice that I've ever done. And he broke the bread. Break the little wafer. Break the little wafer. He broke it. His body was broken for you. And he said this, eat it, all of you. Let's eat together. And then he took the cup. And I love what he says. He talks about first the, the breaking of the body. He says, Old Testament, Old Testament, sins redeemed by the breaking of the body. But he said this cup is a cup of the new covenant, the new covenant. In Jesus, each one of us is granted the invitation to interact with the living God because of Jesus by Jesus, and through the blood of Jesus. Let's drink this together. And here's what I want to do right now. We're going to close in a song of worship. And I love when we have opportunities to come up for prayer, we can pray over one. At the end of the service, if you need prayer, we will be up here. We will be up here. Becky and Pedro will be up here. Rob and Sue will be up here. Team Parker, that's what we'll call it. But I want you to dive into this last song of worship and say these three things. God, I'm going to relearn to ask. God, I'm going to learn to seek. And God, I'm going to start once again knocking and banging the door of heaven. So Holy Spirit, right now, I ask you for a fresh movement. I ask you for a fresh ability to interact in a place of intimacy with you. I ask you that out of those three movements, Jesus, that you had taught us, that you would do a fresh work in our hearts, in our lives, in our relationship.
It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.